Hello and welcome to the Bunker Daily. It, it is not just any Bunker Daily. This is actually the 200th ever episode of the Bunker. It's easier to wrap them up, admittedly, if you do them literally every bloody day. But on the other hand, you know, sweet Jesus, we've actually done these every bloody day. Um, so we just wanted to say thank you to everyone for your support for this program. It hasn't been around for a very long time and we're insanely flattered to have developed such a supportive audience and especially thank you to the patron backers who make it all possible it's been a pleasure being with you through this uh rather trying period of uh general unpleasantness right so enough nicey nicey let's uh talk about how fucking awful everything is my name is ian dunt i am the editor at large of politics.co.uk and the author of how to be a liberal i'm joined today by christina pagel a member of independent sage director of the clinical operational research unit at ucl and a recent guest on the main bunker show um this is a kind of a special episode really which grew out of a conversation that christina and i were having about whether we were going to go home for christmas um and at a certain point we thought, well, we might actually just might as well just have this conversation in public because probably a few people will be having the same kind of conversations and mulling this kind of stuff over in their minds. Christina, I guess the first thing to say is that um, experts aren't necessarily that much more certain than normal people about what they're doing, right? Like this is all ultimately a risk assessment which each person has to make about whether you're going to go home for Christmas. Yeah, well, I think people are pretty certain about what they ought to do. But what they will do is different. Like, you know, or we ought to not see anyone. But I don't think that's what most people are doing. So then it is about, you know, how much risk are you prepared to take and how can you be safe and how do you negotiate it and how do your family negotiate it? And, and you know, you go through all of that. Like, you know, took, it took me two, three weeks to come up with a Christmas plan. What is your, what is your Christmas plan? So I have two parents that are still alive, just about. But they're both extremely vulnerable, shielding category, got the letter saying don't leave the house ever kind of thing. And so my dad's 83 and my mum is 79. And both of them are convinced that if they got COVID, they would die. I suspect that's probably true. Um, And then my sister is a bit older than me, but she's got three teenage kids. And normally for Christmas, my sister goes to my mum's for 10 days and I go pretty much every day. And that's kind of been what we've done for 25 years but not this year and it is kind of yeah it's really sad to be honest okay I mean let me um let let me do the same thing which as you know was sort of my plans changed as you and I were were talking um um, I had a plan to go see my parents um for a while and I thought look I'll just self-isolate for two weeks I bought for 150 fucking quid this private covid test to come over um and thought right so I'll just build that I'll do that like a couple of days in advance then I'll go stay with the parents for, for you know, a few days uh, and come back. And then I just started getting incredibly nervous about it. And in the end, sort of had this discussion with my parents, which was uh, a bit volatile for certain moments of it, uh, where I was like, look, I really don't feel comfortable doing this. So instead, they're sort of driving to see me at my place um, on Christmas Day for a few hours when we'll sort of eat with lots of the windows open, other sides of the table, that sort of thing. So kind of a miserable Christmas. But less miserable than it might otherwise have been um what's the can you tell us i mean we do have some sort of uh case studies in this area right because we've had thanksgiving in canada and the us what what have we learned from that that meeting with your family is bad so in canada (laughs) they had thanksgiving i think on the 12th of october and cases have been pretty much surging ever since. And there have been lots of kind of local lockdowns now because of it. And the States, obviously, well, they had Thanksgiving just over two weeks ago. 
Um, cases are still going up, hospitalizations are still going up, and Fauci says that they've not yet reached the peak from Thanksgiving, but um, but they expect one. And well, the Spanish newspaper El Pais is that how you say it? You'll know better than El, El Pais. Okay, well, I'm not going to say that. Well, that that that. <laughs> yeah, they, they did this really go good. into the Spanish accent. It's, it would be a terrible, terrible, preposterous, pompous way of behaving. Quite right. <laughs> so they. Um, they did this really good article about this because they said that 30% of cases in Spain were, were from household interaction. And they said that if you have six people at home in a room without the windows open, then if one person has it, then after four hours, everyone will have it. And then they kind of went through how you can protect yourself. And it was basically things like open the window once an hour for 10 minutes. Um, you can wear masks inside, but actually they're not that protective if you don't open the windows. It's ventilation that really, really matters and it's limiting duration. And it's and it's and it's doing all the things that come really unnaturally. It's not. It's trying to keep your distance from your family. It's not hugging. It's trying not to stay overnight because that just makes everything seem more normal. So the more normal things are, the more likely you're going to forget. Especially if you're in your family home, where it's really hard just psychologically to think of it as a dangerous place. And especially for people say our age or younger, it's really difficult to think of yourself as a dangerous person because you feel fine and you're convinced you're not, you know, you're convinced you're fine. And the problem with COVID is that it spreads most when people are feeling fine because no, they have no idea that they're sick. And that's really kind of the, the problem with things like Christmas is that, is that it's people who love each other all together. And especially if you add drinking to it, it, it just ends up being a bit of, well, it's basically how COVID spreads the easiest. I mean, that's the problem. Isn't there a name for isn't? It? I think I saw it in the Sage thing. Is it, is it the paradox of intimacy or something like that? Yeah. Although that sounds like a book of prize. <laughs> that or familiarity bias. That, but that basically we're quite good at social distancing from strangers. Like we're quite happy to think that stranger, they're, they're saying too close to me in the supermarket. How dare they? But then when you're meeting your friend mm. or meeting your mum, then you just forget. Like I went on a walk outside with my sister and her family on Sunday, which was just so nice. I hadn't seen them, you know, in eight weeks. And next thing I know, I'm taking a selfie, like cheek to cheek with her. And I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this isn't what I'm meant to be doing. And I just completely and utterly forgot. <laughs> and then later on, I like, my brother-in-law sent me some pictures. And I was like, wow, like, we're literally like 20 centimeters apart from each other, even though we know we're outside. And, but so, so it's just so hard to do. And so one of the things that the SAGE document actually said, which is really useful, it's written by the behavioral subgroup, is you have things like if you're going to have dinner with your family from different households, then you can put like place cards on the table to kind of make people remember this is where they're meant to be. You know, so you, or you kind of, or you talk mm-hmm. to people beforehand say, actually, this is your bathroom and this is my bathroom if you have that option. Or actually, I'm going to set an alarm to open the window every hour. And you, and you make it a more unnatural environment. And it'll make it much less enjoyable, but it will make it a lot safer. Can you talk about um, staying over? Because the, sort of the sense with a lot of your stuff is just like, look, if you're going to go over, just really try not to stay over at, at the house of elderly relatives. Well, it's just about like duration matters. And the longer you're in contact with someone, the more likely they are to get it. And the other problem with staying over is that the well, what Sage calls it is your is complacency, but you're more likely to kind of just settle back into your normal life. You'll end up touching everything. Um, you'll be breathing everywhere. You're more likely to drink, you know, if you're not driving. Um, and so it just mm-hmm. it just kind of makes everything a little bit more likely to be worse. And then there's another thing that, you know, it's not 
the evidence for this isn't as high, but there is this idea that the longer you're in a space with someone, then if you are infected, then they get a high viral load. And there's this idea that if you have a high viral load to start with, you're more likely to get sick. What are the activities that people do inside, typically at sort of Christmas time, that would be sort of the most dangerous, really? Singing. <laughs> Don't sing. Whatever you do. Like, like we always sing carols, like we're totally not religious, but singing carols is our thing and we do it really badly in different languages. <laughs> but yeah, no singing, no shouting. And that can be quite a problem right, if you've got young kids is that, you know, you can't, you can't tell young kids not, not to run around screaming and shouting, but that, that is a risk. Like, um, again, that Spanish article in the newspaper, I'm not going to say, um, <laughs> reckon that if you shout, that's 50 times more aerosol you're producing than if you talk quietly. So that's quite a big difference. Playing Twister, I don't know, playing Spin the Bottle, less likely to happen in a family Christmas, but you, know, you never know. And so things like that, obviously, you don't be, want to do that. I really hope that's not like a German tradition to play Spin the Bottle in a family at Christmas. That sounds horrific. <laughs> uh, oh, well, yeah, the only other thing that, so Sage mentioned this, is they reckon you should, you should swap out board games for quizzes on the grounds that if in a board game you're all touching the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing the same goes for playing cards. But it's just about trying to constantly think, is this, could I have COVID, you know, could I have COVID, COVIDified this thing that I'm about to hand over to someone I actually love? And and I mean, it, I mean, the, the whole problem with Christmas is that it is really hard to assess all the risks, and the risks aren't super high, but the consequences could be really severe. So that's you know, like I know when you and I were talking about it, it's like, well, like if you self isolate for two weeks, the chances of you having COVID are tiny, but you can't be sure. In terms of the, the my my cunning scheme where I got myself a test in order to evaluate whether I'd be safe going home, you you don't think that was a particularly smart idea. Can you explain why? So basically, the test that you buy to go to get take at home, or even the test that you take if you go to a test centre and you have to lie about having symptoms, which isn't a particularly good thing to do, um, it's one of those tests where if you test positive, you almost certainly have COVID. But if you test negative, it doesn't mean that you don't have it. Because taking a swab from the back of your throat or up your nose is actually really hard. And a lot of people just miss the right spot. Um, And so if you have COVID, you're only going to test positive with the swab test. It's about 70% of the time. Like if I tested negative, I would not take that to mean it's safe for me to go and see vulnerable people. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's kind of knowing that there is a vaccine coming. My parents are reasonably high on the list of getting it. The idea that I could give them COVID maybe a month before they get vaccinated. Like, I just don't know how I'd live with it. And so for me, it is about trying to really minimise that risk. And they know that, and I know that. And they, you know, for the first time in their lives, were actually saying, you know, actually, I don't want to see my grandchildren. And so I think there's also this assumption that everybody really wants to spend it together. But like, you know, I think everyone has to discuss it with each other. Actually, do you want to see your grandchildren? You know, is this something you feel comfortable with? Because you don't want to force people to be in a situation where they see you as some kind of, you know, visitor of death and not (laughs) their loved one. There is a sort of, it's so true, right? Like when I started speaking to my parents about it, it it did not, the the one who was sort of cooler with it and in fact, arguably even looked a bit relieved was not the one I was expecting. And the other parent who got quite, you know, quite touched and upset about the whole thing was the one who I thought would be taking it fine. And it was just, it reminds you of that thing of no matter how well you think you know someone, when it comes to this thing, you know, everything's a bit changed up and you may not get, they may not be thinking about your arrival in the manner in which you assume they are. But also, you know, like it, it isn't really about Christmas, but 
it does kind of there's this whole idea that I'm seeing this people now are having a go at vaccinating 90 year olds and saying oh well they're about to die anyway and and you know like my parents both have severe health problems you know they maybe they do only have a year left of life or two years left of life but they bloody want to have it you know they really Mm -hmm. want it um can you talk a little bit about public transport what we know about the the sort of risks of it because presumably a lot of people are going to have to go home in because there's a relatively closed window for this then we assume that lots of those trains lots of those buses will actually have quite a few people on them do we know much about how dangerous an environment it is to be on public transport like that so public transport is quite an interesting one because it's not I don't think it's quite as dangerous as we thought it was in March and I think that's because in March we thought it was spread much more through what they call like fomite transmission but basically that means COVID on surfaces Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where you know somewhere like the tube is a complete nightmare because everyone's touching everything and it's really disgusting but actually it seems to be much more through aerosols and because you tend not to be talking on public transport at least not so much in London no one talks on public transport in London but actually it's not quite as bad as we think so in some ways like like the most dangerous bits is is longer travel for several hours if it's crowded and not the windows open but if it's a train or a bus then you you normally can open the windows and um, certainly like regional buses where they're opening the doors every time they come to a stop it's actually probably not too bad I mean obviously disinfect before and after wear a mask um, but I would say it's not as bad as you think. Okay, finally, is there anything we could do like after Christmas to help? Because, I mean, presumably we're not just thinking about, you know, the people that we're seeing when we go and for Christmas, but also anything we might, you know, potentially in the worst case scenario, pick up at Christmas that we would then give to others if we met them. Should we be self-isolating after Christmas as well as before? Yeah, well, it depends. Like, like if we're just seeing your household at Christmas, then you don't have to. But if you are going to mix households, and particularly if you're mixing with high-risk people, um like say you've decided to spend it with your friends and their school kids if you've got school kids or whatever then I think you should try to self-isolate afterwards because you basically got about a week from the end of that government window which is what 28th December a week before people go back to work go back to school start going back to university and if you can avoid giving it to other people when you go back into your normal life then at least if there is a Christmas spike, well there will be a Christmas spike, but it means that it won't be as sustained than if you carried on meeting people afterwards before you get symptoms, but are still really infectious and potentially spreading it. So I would, if you are going to see people, then isolate afterwards. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to try and do that too. Not that I think my parents are going to give me COVID, but you don't know, they might do. (laughs) That would be the shittest Christmas present of of all time. Okay, so if there's someone now listening to this with, you know, sort of relatively elderly parents, whatever, who's umming and ahhing about what the thing to do is, do you have a a sort of message to them or any advice Well, I think the biggest thing is whether you're in a position to isolate before you see them, because that is the best way of trying to reduce your chance of having it when you see people. And that I mean, that's the whole point of contact tracing, right, is the idea that if you can if you can isolate for 10 to 14 days, you're very unlikely to be infectious by the time you then meet people. But a lot of people aren't in that position. So then it's about, well, um, the people you want to see, how risky um, how risky is it for them? How likely are they to get really sick if they get COVID? Um, what other options do you have? You, can you drive over and see them for a walk? Because some people, you know, if their family lives 500 miles away, can't do a day trip. You know, like mm. some people just can't do that. Can you try and think about doing something over Easter? So we're planning a proper family Christmas at Easter now. You know, make make plans to do fun things later when it's safer. And just talk to them. 
Because I think a lot, I'm really worried that a lot of people aren't saying or even suggesting not doing Christmas because they're worried they'll hurt someone's feelings. Mm-hmm. And if everyone's thinking that, and actually then everyone meets and everyone feels a bit awkward about it and worried and anxious, then that's also really sad. And I also think you should talk to your kids about it, especially teenagers, because they know, like it's all over the newspapers that teenagers are the group currently that have the highest infection rate. So what if they're actually really worried about seeing their grandparents or seeing their aunts and uncles? You know, what if... What if, if they're really anxious about it and we just don't know? And so I think, you know, it's about talking to each other and planning it together. Because if you tell people, this is my plan, you're also much more likely to follow it, right? I've just told everybody what I'm planning to do for Christmas. If I now decide not to isolate, go out, do lots of really risky things and see my parents, and then someone says, how, how did your Christmas go? And then I, I either, either have to lie or I have to admit that I broke my promise. So, you know, like, like just tell people. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing. At least force yourself into into actually abiding by your own words is is quite a good tactic. Christina, thank you very much indeed. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh, well, Merry Christmas, I guess. <laughs> um, Patreon listeners, there will be a live bunker Christmas show with uh, the Oh God What Now podcast on the seventeenth, in which uh, I shall likely be completely shitted on mild wine. Um, and then we've got all the usual shows coming out every day until then. And until then, stay safe. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ian Dunt. Producer is Andrew Harrison, and assistant producers are Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofranovic. The audio producer is me, Robin Lieburn, and The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Listener.